Okay, so this evening is Rosh Chodesh Adar. Mishenichnas Adar Marvin Basimcha. Next week, our uh, this shir will be devoted to matters of uh, Purim, Haba Aleinu Latova. Uh, for this week, we will yet be in the weekly parsha, the discussion of Truma and uh, related matters. Uh, I did just want to mention, in the spirit of uh, Mishenichnas Adar, uh, two things, actually one thing which uh, splits into two. The uh, Purim book, which was published uh, a number of years ago, has uh, Baruch Hashem been reprinted, and uh, it's available. Uh, it looks like this. It's in the, the uh, bookstores and also for me directly. So <coughs> that should uh, hopefully add uh, some uh, content and spice to, to the themes of the festival. And this year, actually, there is news with regards to the Purim Sefer because Baruch Hashem, a very wise and kind person in Russia, undertook to translate the Purim book into Russian. And that has been published and copies are available, well, in Russia and also here. It looks like this. If you think I have any idea what this means, I don't. I can only guess that it means approximately what the uh, Purim book means. (coughs) But... If you uh, know anyone who's a Russian speaker, or alternatively, if you've always been looking for an interesting way to learn how to speak Russian, so here is your opportunity. Feel free to be in touch with me uh, directly. But Baruch Hashem, a great schuss to in some way contribute to the Torah learning of the of the Russian-speaking community. Um, certainly, that's uh, I'm indebted to, to the one who translated this uh, Sefer. And um, with that having been said, let us begin our discussion of Parshas Truma. As we know, <coughs> Parshas Truma is the first of a series of Parshas which are devoted in one form or another, to one degree or another, to the building of the Mishkan and matters of Kahuna. And it's worthwhile, therefore, by way of introduction to consult the words of the great Rishonim with regards to the very concept of building a Mishkan or building a base Hamikdash. What is this mitzvah about? And <clears throat> as we will see, there seem to be different uh, emphases in two of the great Rishonim. We'll just take a look at two of them, Rambam and Ramban. And as we'll see, there is what to discuss. The Rambam, in his Sefer HaMitzvah, in Positive Mitzvah Kaf, describes the mitzvah as follows. Hu <coughs> Shetzivanu, Hashem has commanded us, Livnos Beis Avoda, to build a house of Avoda. That's, that is a title of the Beis HaMikdash. A house of Avoda, a house of divine service. And he goes on to say that there it will then house three things. Three things will happen there. Bo ha the offering of korbanos will happen there. Vav ares ha'ishtamid, the fire will continually burn there, which is very interesting that the Rambam feels that that is worthy of mention in its own right. One might have thought that's just very simply because one needs fire for the korbanos, but the Rambam sees this as deserving of its own uh, mention. And finally, 
it will be a place where people can do alia regal. So you have these three uh, specific things, korbanos, eshtamid, and alia regal, <coughs> but they all focus around the central idea which the Rambam mentioned in the very beginning, and that is to call the Beis HaMikdash Beis Avoda. The focus and the uh, primary purpose, if we may say, of the Beis HaMikdash is a place where, a central place where the Avoda, the divine service of Korbanos, etc., can be performed. In contrast to this, and certainly not in contradiction, but, but, but without a doubt, a different emphasis is in the commentary of the Ramban in the beginning of our Parsha. And Ramban says that <coughs> the idea of the Mishkan, and by extension the Beis HaMikdash, is itself a progression from the experience that we had at Har Sinai. What happened at Har Sinai? HaKadosh Baruch Hu descended, so to speak. The Divine Presence was, was amongst us. And says Ramban, in that state, v'hinehem kedoshim, just to read two lines of the Ramban, the Jewish people are thus sanctified, re'uyim she'yebahem mikdash. And therefore it is only natural that they are deserving, that there should be a mikdash, lahashros shchinoso b'nehem, in order that the divine presence should rest among them. And a few lines later, again, one line, Vesod HaMishkan, the essence of the Mishkan, <coughs> that the very same divine glory that rested on Harsinai, Shochein Alav Benistar, should likewise reside in the Mishkan and in the Beis Hamikdash in a somewhat more hidden way. But what we see clearly from Ramban is that the focus of the Mishkan as a progression from Harsinai. Harsinai continues in the sense that uh, the Shekhinah came down at the time that the Torah was given on Harsinai and it gets transferred almost uh, to, to the Mishkan and that is the, the focal point. Again, these two ideas of, of course are not antithetical to each other, they're not contradictory to each other, but nonetheless they do reflect a different emphasis as to what the primary purpose of the Mishkan is about. For Rambam, it's the Avoda of Korbanos, and for Ramban, it's the Hashra, Sashchina, the uh, dwelling of the Divine Presence. And what's very interesting is to see how this uh, discussion and these two approaches follow through and remain consistent as we come to discuss another very interesting question. It's a mitzvah question that relates to truma. As we know, the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash <coughs> have various component parts. They have appurtenances, clay HaMikdash, as they are called. What's in the Beis HaMikdash? <coughs> the menorah and the Mizbeach and the Shulchan and, and uh, so on and so forth. And each of them, the Torah commands that they should be made and give specifics. Va'asisa shulchan, va'asisa menorah, va'asisa mizbeach. Each of them, the Torah commands. The question is, if we're looking to keep an eye on taryag mitzvahs, the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah. So we ask the simple question, how many of 
The 613 mitzvahs of the Torah are to be found in the Beis HaMikdash. Specifically, what we mean is, each of the kalim, each of these appurtenances, to make a menorah, is that a separate mitzvah in Taryag? To make a shulchan, is that a separate mitzvah of Taryag? And the same for the Mizbeach? <coughs> so interestingly, both the Rambam and the Ramban agree that the answer is no. They are not separate mitzvahs. You will not find them listed as number 17, 18, and 19 in the 613. Clearly, they are subsumed within some other mitzvah. We know that in total, the Torah commands more than 613 things. Clearly, they form groups, 613 groups. And therefore, to make a menorah and the shulchan and the mizbeach, these are not distinct mitzvahs of Taryag. They belong to another mitzvah. Both Rambam and Ramban concur about that. The only question is, to which mitzvah do they belong? And here they part ways. The Rambam says that the mitzvah of <coughs> building a, a mizbeach and a menorah and a shulchan, they are all sub-mitzvahs within the general mitzvah of building the Beis HaMikdash. In other words, the, 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 the mitzvah itself, the primary mitzvah, is to build the mikdash, the asuli mikdash, and the uh, things inside, which are contained within it, the commandments to make them are contained within the mitzvah of making a base of mikdash. So says Rambam. However, the Ramban disagrees as to where those, what those mitzvahs belong to, the mitzvah to make a menorah, a mizbeach, and a shulchan. According to the Ramban, they're not contained within the mitzvah of, of making a Beis HaMikdash. So what are they contained within? Well, says Ramban, we know that whenever you do something as a preparation to perform a mitzvah with that thing, so it's only the final result, the final action, that's actually the mitzvah. For example, we say it's a mitzvah to build a sukkah, but that's not a separate mitzvah of Taryag. The mitzvah is basukkah's teishvu. The building of a sukkah is subsumed within the mitzvah of what you do with a sukkah once it's built. Likewise, baking matzahs, which is, it will start to happen if it hasn't started already. There's a mitzvah to bake matzahs, but only to the extent that there's a mitzvah to eat them. So the mitzvah is ba'erev tochlu matzahs. The baking of the matzah is a preparatory act, but it's not a distinct mitzvah. It is subsumed within what you do when the matzah is baked. Likewise, says Ramban, all of these vessels, the menorah, the shulchan, and the kalim, and, and the menorah, the shulchan, and the mizbeach, there's things to do with them once they're built. The menorah has to be lit. The shulchan is for the lechem aponim. The Mizbeach is to have korbanos on it, <coughs> says Ramban. That is why the making of these vessels is not a separate mitzvah, because each one is subsumed within what you do once you've made it. The mitzvah of making a menorah is part and parcel of a preparation towards lighting the menorah, which is the mitzvah. The mitzvah of, of making the shulchan is preparation towards, and thus part and parcel of, what you do with the shulchan, 
lechem aponim, and so too with the mizbeach for korbonos. So it's very interesting. I think we can say there's, there's a conservation of mitzvah matter here that the, Ram, the Rambam and Ramban both agree upon. The only question is, where do we put these making the, making the menorah, making the shulchan? Again, to summarize, for Rambam, they're all contained within the mitzvah of making the Beis HaMikdash. For Ramban, each one is subsumed within the mitzvah that making this kli is a preparation for and enables. Rabbi Asher Weiss says, <coughs> when you think about it, this discussion that we've had just for the last two or three moments is a direct progression of our opening discussion. If you want to know whether the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash are making them is contained within the mitzvah of making the Beis HaMikdash, go back to the very basic question with which we began. What is the purpose of making the Beis HaMikdash? What is the designation of the Beis HaMikdash? And you'll see that the answer to that question will then inform this one. By which we mean, for the Rambam, the, the Beis HaMikdash is a Beis Avoda. Its designation is a place to perform the Avoda. And therefore, all of these vessels, which are vessels of Avoda, lighting the menorah is an Avoda. So too is Lechem Aponim. So too are Karbonos. So if the Uber Mitzvah is <coughs> a house of Avoda, then all the Kalim with which you do the Avoda can be easily seen to be subsumed within that Mitzvah. Of Asuli Mikdash. Whereas, according to the Ramban, the basic designation of the, of the Mishkan and the Mikdash are to house the Shechina. The Avoda is a, is a distinct matter. And therefore, you can't see these vessels of Avoda as being contained within the mitzvah of making the Besam Mikdash. And that is why the Ramban, for his part, sees that. Uh, those mitzvahs are rather subsumed within what you do with those vessels when they are made. Menorah is part of the lighting of the menorah, shulchan part of lechem aponim, and the mizbeach part of korbonus. So it doesn't take long for the parsha of Truma in its own way to, to yield a great deal of discussion uh, and insight <coughs> with regards to mitzvahs, in a sense, how, not only how the Beis HaMikdash works, how mitzvahs work in terms of the the literature of Taryak. So, from here, let us move actually to the to the central mitzvah of Asuli Mikdash, which if we if we see is in Perik Kafhei, the opening Perik Pasuk Ches. The well-known Pasuk for Asuli Mikdash Veshachanti Vesocham. They shall make for me a Mikdash. <coughs> I will dwell in their midst. Okay, that's Pasuk Ches. In conjunction with that, let us see the next pasuk. In accordance with everything that I'm showing you, the form of the mishkan, the form of its, of its vessels, and so shall you do. And the words that we would like to focus on for the next few moments are the final words of pasuk tes, and so you shall do. The problem is, <coughs> what are they adding? What are they even saying? If we go back to the beginning of Pasuk Ches, we already have a mitzvah of the Asu, the Asu Mikdash. 
So Moshe, or the Jewish people, by extension, have already been commanded to do whatever it is they need to do. Once you have the asu in the beginning of Pasuk Ches, why do you need v'chein ta'asu in the end of Pasuk Tes? They shall do, and so they shall do. What's the second, though, so they shall do? And Rashi, although some Mephorshim see this as uh, purely an issue of emphasis, of chizuk, they shall do, and so they shall do, uh, as if to say, not adding anything extra, but rather emphasizing the original ve'osuli migdash, Rashi is not prepared to explain it that way because of the letter vav. Ve'chein ta'asu, and so you shall do. Rashi says, if this was a question of emphasis, then it just should have said, ve'osuli migdash, etc., etc., kein ta'asu, so you shall do. That's a phrase of emphasis. Ve'chein ta'asu, and so you shall do, sounds like it's something else. But what else can there be? And that is why Rashi says, ve'chein ta'asu, ledoros, in future generations, but what is there to do in future generations? Says Rashi, either im yovad or yaved echad min ha-kelim, if one of the uh, kelim, for example, goes missing, or alternatively, kshetasuli kli beisolamim, when you come to build the base hamikdash, which is a whole new project, <coughs> and if you'll make kelim for that, shulchanos, menoros, kior, etc., like Shlomo did, kitavnis elu tasu osam. They shall be done in this form specifically. Exactly like this. In other words, according to Rashi, most of these Tupsukim is talking about here and now, meaning there and then, the beginning of Truma, making the Mishkan. Make the Mishkan and Kechola, just, just as I'm showing you the form of the Mishkan, the form of its Kalim, that's all immediate. But v'chein ta'asu is for future reference. Should you ever need to make other kalim, they should be exactly like these. That's v'chein ta'asu. So these final two words are very interesting. They cast a very long shadow. Thousands of years, in fact. Any time in the future, if you want to have your guidelines for how to make a clear of the mikdash, look back to these words, v'chein ta'asu. Just as it was done originally, so should it, should it be done subsequently. So now we know. You build the Beis Hamikdash. What should the Kalim look like? Exactly what they look like. Exactly as they were in the Mishkan. The only problem, as the Ramban raises, is that we happen to know that the Kalim in the Beis Hamikdash did not look exactly like those in the Mishkan. Specifically, he raises the matter of the Mizbeach for Korbonos. Our Parsha will tell us that the Mizbeach for Korbonos was five by five Amos. Sefer Melochim will tell us that the Mizbeach that Shlomo HaMelech built for the Beis HaMikdash was 20 by 20. But that's not, that's not, that's not, the, the, that's not the same as the Mishkan. How then can we say that the Pasuk is telling you all future Kalim should be exactly like these when we happen to know that they were not exactly like these? And that's why Ramban says it's for emphasis. It's not referring to future Kalim. 
But what about Rashi, who says that they are? How can we say that the all kalim in the future need to be exactly like this when we know that they were not? It sounds like Shlomo HaMelech didn't learn Rashi. But of course, we know that he did. So what's the, what is the resolution? What's the understanding? Well, the Mizrahi, Rabbeinu Eliyahu Mizrahi, foremost commentator on Rashi, explains uh, very simply, when the Pasuk says that all vessels of the Beis Hamikdash in the future need to be the same tavnis, tavnit, as the current ones of the Mishkan, the word tavnis means shape. Yes, they need to be the same shape. It doesn't mean they need to be the same size. What that means is <coughs> the Mizbeach, which is the case in point that the Ramban raised, the Mizbeach of Korbanos was five by five. Five Amas by five Amas. That's a square. And the Pasuk says, in future generations, you make a, you make a new Mizbeach, it has to be the same Tavnes. Says the Mizrahi, it was. Twenty by twenty is also a square. In other words, what he's disputing uh, with Ramban and defending you know, on Rashi's behalf is that the word dav, Tavnis doesn't necessarily mean exactly the same specifications, including size. It's the same specifications, including shape, but the size could be bigger, as indeed in the Beis Hamikdash it was. So this is a classic. It doesn't get bigger than Rashi, Ramban, and Mizrahi. I mean, that's already one, one, one can already have lunch at that stage. I mean, that's a good uh, that's a good uh, discussion. <coughs> What's very interesting is, again, if we try and do justice to these final words, v'chein ta'asu. The Chassam Sofer, in his Chuvas, and actually this particular responsor was to Rabbi Kiva Eger, who was, as we know, was his father-in-law. <coughs> he has a different understanding of what Ledoros means. Again, just to remind ourselves, these extra words, V'chein Ta'asu, in the future, do likewise. Says the Chassam Sofer, do what likewise? What needs to be in the Beis HaMikdash like it was in the Mishkan? Says Hassam Sofer, I'll ask a disarmingly simple question. We know that there were many things that were quite different in the Beis Hamikdash than they were in the Mishkan. Apart from anything else, the body of the Beis Hamikdash looks nothing like the Mishkan. It's not made of beams and it doesn't have curtains on top. It's a stone building, etc. I mean, there's significant differences. And the simple question is, how is it possible? How is it possible to build a base Hamikdash in a way that differs from how the Torah describes the Mishkan? After all, we assume that it is a matter of Torah law that the base Hamikdash needs to look how it does. <coughs> On whose authority was the base Hamikdash built in the way that it was? Now, we might think there's a simple answer at hand, because it was done through Nevuah. David HaMelech was told through Nevuah what the Beis HaMikdash would look like. When it came to the second Beis HaMikdash, there were still Nevi'im. And they were likewise told through Nevuah. And that should settle the matter. But says the Chassam Sofer, but it does not settle the matter. Because we happen to know that when it comes to Torah matters, a Navi is not allowed to have input after the 613 mitzvahs have been given. In the words of the famous drasha, Eile HaMitzvos, commenting either on the Eile HaMitzvos at the end of Vayikra or of Bamidbar, Eile HaMitzvos, Mikan, 
From these words, Eila HaMitzvahs, we learn, She'ein Hanavi Rashai Lechadesh Dover Me'ata. A Navi is not able, it's not capable, <coughs> and not allowed to, to introduce new material. So says Chassam Sofer, what would seem to be the obvious answer, they, they, they got their directive through Nevuah as to how to build the Beis HaMikdash, is not acceptable. Because a Navi can't have input in a Torah matter once the Torah has been given. So what is the, what is the understanding? How could, how could they build the, the first base of Mikdash the way they did? How could they build the second base of Mikdash the way they did? Says the Chassam Sofer, the answer to this question is looking it out at us from the end of Pasuk Tess. This is the meaning of the words v'chein ta'asu, and so you shall do, which as Rashi explained means ledoros, in future times. What does it mean? V'chein, similarly, is not referring to the shape of the kalim, as if to say, in future times the shape of the kalim should be similar to how they are now. No. It's talking about the beginning of Pasuk Tess, which says, Exactly as I am showing you. As if to, and then the Pasuk says, Likewise do so in future generations. It's a, it's a, if one may use the term, it's a chap in the pshat of the Pasuk. Because what the Pasuk now is saying is, How should you make the Beis HaMikdash? Exactly as I'm showing you. Read on in the Parshas. And if you're wondering how will you make the Beis HaMikdash in future times, the answer is, as I will show you, when the time comes, through Nevoah, for the first Beis HaMikdash and the second Beis HaMikdash. So it's almost as if the Pasuk is saying, make the Beis HaMikdash as I'm showing you now, and likewise do in future times. How? As I will show you, when the time comes. And thus, says the Chassam Sofer, we don't need to be worried about the idea of Nevi'im, of prophecy having input post the giving of the Torah, because this is embedded in the Torah. The Pasuk in our Parsha is saying that in the future, I will, I'm telling you now that there will be further Nevuas for subsequent Batei Mikdash. Very, very interesting way <coughs> to explain the Pasuk. And this was said, aside from anything else, this is in Chuvas in Yeridea, Simon Reish it was, among other things, as part of a discussion as to whether it would be possible to build the Beis HaMikdash uh, nowadays. <coughs> nowadays, well, for the Chassam Sofer, that was the 1800s. For us, it's the, tw- it's the uh, 21st century. The question is the same. Would it be possible to unilaterally uh, build the Beis HaMikdash? And the Chassam Sofer says, according to this analysis, leaving aside almost every other single possible consideration, it wouldn't be possible because the verse is, has told us that the only way that you can fulfill the mitzvah of building the Beis HaMikdash is as you are directed through a prophetic vision. That's how it was with the first Beis HaMikdash, Mishkan that is to say, V'chein ta'asu, the Torah says, likewise, it will be as I show you. So until a person claims to have received a picture of what the Beis Ham, third Beis HaMikdash should look like from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then... Uh, in the meanwhile, we, we, we await such a vision. So it's, it goes straight from Shuta Shamikra to address a question that people began to be asking already uh, in those times. They haven't stopped asking it uh, un- until our times, but this is an important part of the answer as per the Chassam Sofer. <coughs> so if we could summarize what we've seen so far on the words V'chein Ta'asu, 
They're coming to include the future, to address the future. What about the future? Rashi says, similar shape. At the very least, the same shape, if not, even if not the same size, but the same shape. For, for the chasam sofer, v'chein ta'asu, so too for the future means whatever you do should be based on uh, prophetic directive. But there is a very different explanation of these words, v'chein ta'asu, a very wonderful explanation which comes from Reb Chaim Yuvalajan in his Sefer Nefesh Chaim. And as we'll see, in a sense, it takes the the Parshas Truma, one could almost say, beyond the Beis HaMikdash, by which we mean. He begins by taking us back to Pasuk Ches. Ve'asuli Mikdash, ve'shachanti b'socham. Now we, we sometimes take it for granted, but everyone knows if you read the verse carefully, the verse doesn't say that they should make a Mikdash and I will dwell b'socho in it. Rather, ve'shachanti b'socham, I will dwell within them. And what does this mean? <coughs> it means, says Rebchaim of Elohim, that the ultimate goal of the Mishkan is not that the Divine Presence should be in a building in the middle of the encampment, but rather it should be in the midst of the Jewish people themselves, in each and every person. Somehow, the building of the Mishkan and the operating of the Mishkan should be a catalyst for the Shekhinah to come to dwell within the Jewish people themselves. And the question is, how does that work? Is it very simply, uh, at the risk of oversimplifying, is it, is it just a matter of doing those mitzvahs and then the Shekhinah will come to the people? Says Reb Chaim no. The Mishkan is a living code for how the Jewish people should conduct themselves in their own affairs in order for the Divine Presence to dwell among them. By which we mean (coughs) that every aspect of the Divine Service in the Mishkan contains a message, it contains a concept. It begins with performing the Avodah, but it shouldn't end there. People should take the message to heart and apply it in their day-to-day affairs. And if they do so, that is what will cause the Divine Presence to rest among them. And this, says Reb Chaim of Elohim, in a, in a very interesting uh, approach to the Pasuk, it begins in Pasuk Ches, make a Mikdash, I will dwell, if you make the Mikdash, I will dwell in their midst, within the Jewish people. And you may ask, well, how will that work? The answer is in Pasuk Tes. In accordance with everything I'm showing you, the shape of the Mishkan, the shape of its Kalim, ponder them, contemplate them, hear their message, and then act accordingly. And so you shall do. Where? Everywhere. According to Abraham of Elohim, these final words are not for future Bate Mikdash. Therefore, everywhere outside the Beis HaMikdash, look at the Beis HaMikdash, see what it's telling you, v'chein ta'asu, and act accordingly. And if you do, that's what will lead to v'shachanti b'socham. A very wonderful explanation, the third and for us the last of this, uh, for this evening of those explanations. <coughs> On these two words, v'chein ta'asu, so easy to read, but it's the letter vav that shows 
that there's an entirely new dimension being introduced with those two final words. And in fact, I'd like to perhaps go from there to, to see an example of what we would call v'chein ta'asu. On top of the aron, so you have the kaporas, you have the covering of the kaporas, and, on, and that, on that itself, what do you have stationed? The two kruvim, these two very uh, special uh, entities, the kruvim, and there's much to say about them. The Torah itself tells us how they should be made, how they should be fashioned. Pasuk kaf. They shall be, have their wings spread upwards. So right, their wings uh, covering, the, hovering over the kaporis, facing one another. <coughs> their wings should be spread upwards, and they're facing one another. Says Rabitza Kachon Inspector. The great posek of uh, of the late 1800s. <clears throat> Here, the Torah is providing a recipe, what you could literally call the golden blend of how to succeed in Torah and mitzvahs. These kruvim represent Torah figures. They're literally fashioned out of the lid of the of the holy ark. And what do they look like? What are they doing? What's described about them? Two things. Number one, wings spread upwards. What does that denote? What does it represent? It represents a person's spiritual aspirations. Wings spread upwards, ready to soar. That's where he wants to go. To heavenly matters, to heavenly spheres. But at the same time, looking one at the other. To teach you, says Rabbi Kochon Inspector, <clears throat> that the way to succeed as far as the Torah is concerned is to harmonize these two concepts. On the one hand, to have your wings spread upwards, to soar as high as you can spiritually, bin otam namokom, but at the same time not to lose sight of the person across who might need something, who might in some, somehow be uh, neglected or put out, by what it is that you're doing. <clears throat> and this is, the, this is the, the, the magic formula. Wings up and eyes across. And I think it's in place to mention the, uh, a classic episode which took place with Rabbi Sokochon and Spectre himself, just to get a, a feeling of Noe Doresh ve Noe Mekayim, what it means to expound and what it means to practice. It happened to be there was a community in Russia at that time in these late 1800s and certain people in the community were not happy with the rabbi. I know that could arguably be describing many communities, but here's the one in the story. So <clears throat> you have uh, the, the rabbi, he's basically doing okay, but there's a lot of people that would like to see the back of him. And finally, the time came when they got their chance. Because a Shaila came to this rabbi and he issued his ruling, his psak, and they knew, because they were, they were lomdim also, in, in order to really cause trouble for the rabbi, you have to, you have to be a half a tamal chacha. 
So they knew, they knew their way around, and they knew that this ruling of the rabbi contravened and was contradicted by an explicit ruling of the shach. Rabbi Shabzai Cohen, one of the greatest commentators on Shulchan Aruch in these areas of Kashras, and basically for a rabbi to give a ruling which is contradicted by the shach, is, that's, that's not a good sign. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a point against. And they felt that this is now their time to bury the rabbi. If you get caught offside of the shach, that could be the end of you. However, <clears throat> they wanted him to go out in style. They didn't just want to confront him and say, well, the shach says otherwise. They wanted to, do, go, to go one better. What they did was they sent the shayla to Rabbi Tzokachon Inspector. Because, of course, Rabbi Tzokachon Inspector knows the shach in his sleep. When he gets back, with the, with the answer that it's the Shach, with that telegram, they'll go armed because that's now the greatest posek in Russia at the time, basically announcing that the rabbi doesn't know how to paskan halachas. So that's the way to do it. So they went to the post office and they sent this telegram with the Shaila to Kovna. And they're waiting. And uh, finally, a telegram comes back to the esteemed community of wherever it was, uh, in answer to your question, the halacha is such and such. And to their absolute astonishment, Rabbi Tzachachon said what the rabbi said, and not like the shach. So this was a very awkward situation because for now, for two reasons, because now, what, now Rabbi, uh, it, was, it was the worst time that Rabbi Sokohan and himself could have forgotten the shach because now they couldn't get the rabbi into trouble because the first telegram is exactly like the rabbi. But they didn't know what to do. But how could it be that he made a mistake? They didn't, they didn't know what to make of all this. And they're, they're, they're standing there and they're discussing it. And as they're discussing it, another telegram comes through and says to the esteemed community of uh, such and such, Please disregard my previous ruling. I since remembered that the shach says exactly the opposite. And of course, the halacha is like the shach. Please destroy the first telegram. And it's like, it's like the first one. What was happening? Rabbi Yitzhak who basically has a, has, is a father figure for all of these communities and all of their rabbis, he knew that something was up. As soon as they sent a simple kashras shayla in a telegram to Kovno, but he knows that they should just simply ask the Rav. But he knew there was trouble between them and the Rav. So he surmised that the reason why they're asking him is in order to catch the Rav out. But he felt the Rav was a good Rav. He wasn't sure if, if this is what was happening, but that's what he felt was happening. So, so what can he do? He has to cover all bases. The first thing he did is he sent back the answer like the Rav. So if they really are looking to, 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 to catch him out, his first answer was exactly what the rabbi said. Now, it could be they really want to know the answer. He can't leave them in a non-halachic <laughs> ruling. And therefore, he needed to follow up with the actual psak, which was like the shach. But the point is, Rabbi Yitzhak who's, who's the posik of the generation, of Ashkenazi jury in the, uh, at that time, he was prepared to let people think that he made a mistake. 
He was prepared to forego, in a sense, let his ego take a blow, let his cover take a blow. Because if this, if this was a genuine question, he would have just officially made a mistake for nothing. But it was worth it, just in case the rabbi needs his support. And the halacha won't suffer, because the second telegram will give the correct sound. That is porosik nafayim lamala upnehem ish elachim. That's the very same Rebitzah Kachon inspector who, who made that comment with regards to the kruvim, and, 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 and we see was an embodiment of that, making sure that nothing gets lost, no one gets uh, uh, slighted, and, uh, and that's, that's uh, surely a, s- something to, to ponder. These are the greats. Well, in the remaining time, let's, let's take a look at a final uh, element within the Mishkan, and that's the parochas. The parochas, <coughs> which is in Perek Kafvav Pasuk Lamed Gimel. And as we know, <coughs> the goal of the parochas, let's read the Pasuk, Perek Kafvav Pasuk Lamed Gimel. You shall put the paroches, the dividing curtain, underneath these hooks. And bring the, the aron is brought inside. The goal of the paroches, or the role of the paroches, is to be a dividing curtain, a partition between the holy, the kodesh, and the holy of holies, the kodesh hakadoshim, where the aron is. Before we get into our Parshanut discussion, it's worthwhile mentioning a very interesting shaila that was raised to Rav Moshe Feinstein with regards to uh, with regards to parochas, <coughs> namely, uh, <coughs> as we know, people like to write things on parochases and and very nice, right? Dedicated by so and so in memory of so and so, and also above. It's all, these are all wonderful things. The question that was asked to Ramosha was as follows. <clears throat> in a shul, where the person, uh, the questioner was from, so the parochas had two curtains. All the writing was centered down the middle. And that means that if you had Eitz Chaim He in the middle, so the ayin of Eitz and the Tzadik Sophia of Eitz were on the two different curtains. When, when it's closed, you can read it. The problem is, when you do psicha, so then the ayin and the tzaddik get separated from each other. So, well, on Shabbos, one of the malachas is not to write and not to erase. And the questioner wanted to know... <coughs> In doing psicha and parting those two curtains, is that in any way an infraction of undoing the word of eights? Because the ayin is hither and the tzaddik is thither, and, uh, and they're torn asunder. Interesting shaila. One could envisage a person refusing to do psicha on Shabbos on religious grounds. So the question is, <clears throat> is it permitted? And Reb Moshe Feinstein's answer is threefold. It is an absolute case study in what it means to answer a Shiloh. The first thing he says to Reb Moshe is, it's permitted. It's mutter. The reason why it's mutter <coughs> is because the component parts of the malacha of writing, and then, by contrast, of erasing, are two. Cre- number one, creating the letter, 
and number two, affixing it to, to the background or to, and, and thereby to other letters. In our case, and therefore mochek, erasing, which is another of the 39 malachas, would be uh, destroying the letter or separating words that are fixed together. <coughs> In our case, as of Moshe, none of that is a problem. The, the, the letters all exist wherever they are. Nothing's been created, nothing's been destroyed. The ayin and the tzaddik, wherever they are, are there. And moreover, they're never really fixed to each other. They're never attached to each other because they're, they're simply suspended next to each other. That's not called a, a, a being affixed. And therefore you have n- neither of the component parts of malacha. It is zero for two. And that's why it, it's permitted to open it. It's permitted to close it. That's the halachic answer. Then Reb Moshe says, if you want to be machmir, as a hidur, if you, as an added measure, very simply do the following. On Friday afternoon, open the two curtains somewhat so that they're already not exactly together. And when you close it on Shabbos morning, don't close it fully. If you'd like to do that as an added measure, that's very nice. It's not necessary, but that's, that, that would be acceptable. Thus far, Reb Moshe's response to the question as asked. <clears throat> but then Reb Moshe concludes by saying, I've told you the halacha with regards to Shabbos, but I'd like to tell you something else. You should change the parochus in your shul. And the reason why you should change it is because, not for this reason, this is mutter, but very simply, because the parochus in a shul corresponds to the parochus in the mishkan. In the same way that the parochus in the mishkan divided between the main sanctuary and the Holy of Holies, which, which housed the Aron, so too the curtain in front of the Aron is like the parochus. It divides the main sanctuary of the shul from where the Sefer Torah is, which represents the Aron. <coughs> so, so we like to have things as similar as possible to the Mishkan. The parochus and the Mishkan was one piece of material, not two. And therefore, says Moshe, if possible, you should change the parochus into one. However, he adds if you can do this without causing machlokas. That's also an important part. None of this was actually what he was asked. He was only asked, can you open and close? He says, you can, but you should change. But only if it doesn't involve machlokas. <coughs> of course, for in, in certain individuals, if, if you change it and it didn't involve machlokas, so then what was the point? But Ramosha is teaching us that, uh, no, avoiding machlokas is more important than having two curtains as opposed to one. It's very interesting to see how the, the um, paying attention to the details in the Mishkan translates certainly into aspects of Minhag, perhaps even beyond, in, a, in our very own shuls. But let's take another look at Pasuk Lamed Gimel, specifically at the, the final phrase. And this will be our uh, concluding discussion for this evening. <coughs> the final phrase of Pasuk Lama Gimel states, lachem. The parochas shall divide for you between the holy and the holy of holies. The Nitziv asks two questions, both of them extremely interesting. Firstly, says the Nitziv, what's the meaning of the word lachem? For you. In what way is this for you? 
V'hivdila ha-paruches lachem. The paruches shall, shall divide for you. How is it for you? Uh, and to the extent that you could say, well, the Mishkan is for the Jewish people, then everything about the Mishkan is for you. The word lachem should have been all over the place, but it isn't. It's only here. It seems redundant. The Pasuk should simply have said, And then he asks a second question. And this is a question which I think it helps to be the Natsiv in order even to come up with. <coughs> but actually, when you talk about dividing between A and B in the Torah, there's two ways to do it. You can either say that it should divide Bain A, Le, B, like the verse says, Vivdaltem ben Tame Latahor, with the letter Lamed, between Tame and Tahor, ben Tame Latahor. Or you can say, ben A Uvein B. And that's what we have in our Pasuk. Ben Hakodesh Uvein Kodesh Hakadoshim. It doesn't say ben Hakodesh le Kodesh Hakadoshim, it says ben Hakodesh Uvein Kodesh Hakadoshim. That's an interesting Parshanuk question. What is the difference when the Torah talks of, between when the Torah talks about dividing between A le B and between A uvein B? Says the Nitziv. <coughs> the Medrash Vayikwa Rabbah tells us that the, the Kodesh HaKadoshim was used once a year, maybe for Aaron, but Moshe would use it regularly because that is where he would receive transmission of Torah mitzvahs. Further details, etc. As Hashem himself says, in, I will commune with you from between the Kruvim. So Moshe, the Medrash Vayikor Rabbah says, Aaron entered the Kodesh HaKadoshim perhaps once a year, but Moshe entered on a regular basis in order to receive the Torah. The problem, says in Etziv, is towards the very end of Chumash Shemos, the Pasuk tells us that Moshe was unable to, to enter the Mishkan at all on the day of its, on, uh, initially, because Hashem's cloud, the cloud of the Divine Presence, was over the Mishkan. Moshe was not, was not able to enter. The problem is, so to speak, Hashem's cloud is always during the time of the Mishkan, the cloud of the Shekinah was always over the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So how can Moshe go into the Kodesh HaKadoshim? If we see from the end of Pekudeh, Perik Mem Pasuk Lamed Hay, Moshe could not enter the Mishkan at all as long as the cloud was over it, but the cloud is always over the, the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So how can Moshe enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim to receive, to receive Torah? Says the Nitziv. And this is a, a master parshanot. The Pasuk says, The parochas shall divide for you between the two domains of the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim. The use of the word lachem implies that for you the parochas divides between two, those two domains. But for me, says Hashem, it doesn't. Something else divides between them. Namely, the first 10 Amos are Holy of Holies, and the next 20 moving, moving eastward are Kodesh. It's the domain. 
It's not whether where the parochas is, it's the domain. Now, it doesn't seem to make much of a difference because the parochas actually was suspended exactly at that cutoff point between the 10 and the 20. But what if you could envisage a space? What if somehow the parochas was moved a little bit to the east? You would have created a very interesting zone. Because, for example, if you have the 10 Amos of the Kodesh HaKadoshim, and there is suspended the parochas, but then it's moved another Amma away, so that Amma in between, that cubit in between, is that the Kodesh or the Kodesh HaKadoshim? It depends who you ask. For us, the other side of the parochas is already the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And if it's moved outwards, so you're already behind it and you're in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. But, but, it's, but for Hashem, so to speak, it's moved beyond the ten Amas. This is not a theoretical question. The Gemara says that the poles of the Oron were stationed in a way that they would cause the parochas to protrude one Amma eastward. And what are you looking at in that zone? You're looking at, at a location which has two designations. From Hashem's point of view, it's not the Kodesh HaKadoshim. But from Moshe, because, because it's past those ten, the territory of those ten Amas. But from Moshe's point of view, it is because it's behind the Paroches. That's where Moshe stood. The cloud wasn't there, but for Moshe, he's already able to be in direct communion with Hashem behind the Paroches. Because that's where he is. Says in the Tziv, what is the difference between being Mavdil? We raised the question before, the Parshanuk question. What is the difference between being Mavdil bein a lebi or bein a uvein bi? Says the Nitziv, it's like this. When you talk about being Mavdil bein a lebi, there's nothing in between. It's either a or b. And in the case that we mentioned, bein hatamei latahar, between kosher and non-kosher, there's nothing in between. It's kosher or it's not kosher. There is no middle ground. However you define kosher, but it is or it isn't. But bain a uvein b tells you that the thing that divides them is its own entity. It's not a binary thing, yes or no. There's something in the middle which is yes and no, has aspects of both. And that is exactly what we're talking about here. Vehivdila paroches lachem. For you the paroches will divide between the two domains. And because the parochas is the division for you, but not for me, if you can prize apart the two, which the Aron did, those poles of the Aron gave, moved them an Amma eastwards, you'll create a space which is called Bein HaKodesh, Uvein Kodesh HaKadoshim. It is part Kodesh and part Kodesh HaKadoshim. From Hashem's point of view, it's Kodesh. It's not on those 10 West Amas. So Moshe can stand there. But from Moshe's point of view, it's behind the curtain. And therefore, it's Kodesh HaKadoshim. What's that called? Bein HaKodesh, Uvein Kodesh HaKadoshim. Incredible analysis of the Pasuk. And what's very interesting is, I forgot to check if the Nitziv himself says this. I hope he did. I hope he does. It's for sure true, based on what he's saying. <clears throat> we know that Aaron goes into the Kodesh HaKadoshim once a year. On Yom Kippur. And we talk about it in the Pasha Sacharemos. That's the laning for Yom Kippur. And the way that we describe it, once a year, Aaron goes into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. What's fascinating is, 
The Torah never says that Aaron can ever go into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. It never speaks about him entering the Kodesh HaKadoshim. It says something else. It says, as we know, the opening pasuk, Daber el Aaron achicha, speak to your, your Aaron, your brother, va'al yavo, he cannot come at any time. Al yavo el hakodesh asher mi beis la paroches. He cannot come to the kodesh behind the paroches. That has to be a very roundabout way of referring to the kodesh hakodashim. Just call it the kodesh hakodashim. Why are you calling it the kodesh that's behind the paroches? Because that's exactly what it was. It was not the Kodesh HaKadoshim in every sense of the word. Because Moshe can't enter the, those ten Amas, neither can Aaron on Yom Kippur. What he can enter is a space called, most accurately described as, the Kodesh behind the Parochas. Because the Parochas has moved out, so he's already behind the Parochas. For him it's Kodesh HaKadoshim, but for Hashem it's still Kodesh. What is that called? HaKodesh Hashem Ibeis La Parochas. It is an absolute uh, uh, diuk in, the, in the, the Torah's description of that place as per the Nitziv here. And so we began our discussion with very general matters, the mitzvah of building the Mishkan, what's contained within the Mishkan, uh, what's contained within that mitzvah, what about the vessels of the, of the Mishkan, what about the chintasu, what are implications for future Batei Mikdash, and as we move from uh, seeing how the Mishkan is a model for Rebbeis HaKnesses, and finally we, we, we go back to the words, back to really Pshut Mikra, uh, to, to look at, uh, notice a word like Lachem, Notice a difference between whether the Torah says Bain A le B or Bain A Uvein B. And as is always the case with the assistance of the Gedolia Mafarshim, we leave Berukhushkadol. We'll leave it over here for this evening. I wish you all a good night and a wonderful week ahead. All the very best.